Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. It is week eight of the 11-week term. You've made it this far. Give each other a hand. It's our privilege to have Pastor Ronnie Wilson, uh, who also serves as adjunct professor of theology here at Nazarene Bible College. He's going to minister the word to us this evening. Uh, would you welcome him, please? He made the trip all the way from Falcon just to be here for, for chapel tonight. It is, a, it is a, its own world, isn't it? Um, Say together with me our phrase, Hear my Lord, purify me. Say one more time. Hear my Lord, purify me. And now stand and let's pray it. Together. Hear my Lord, purify me. Let's pray. And all of his people said, Amen. It is our prayer. We want to see you. We want to be yours. And we pray that you will do whatever you need to do in us in order for that to come to pass. And we pray that you will help us hear your words through your servant for our sakes, for your glory, and for the sake of those who don't know you yet. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Once you've been invited back twice, you get to thinking, well... You didn't screw it up as bad as you thought you did the first time, right? <laughs> and it is good to be together, and uh, what a privilege to be together in this community specifically. Well, today, uh, the message uh, title is True Blue Identity, and we're going to be looking at the powerful words of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 today. Well, this week, there's been quite a bit of news, uh, headline news, and of course, with some major elections upcoming, perhaps you missed one of the biggest stories of the week. Uh, in fact, it was uh, a traumatic story, but apparently a bunny rabbit and a snake were racing through the woods, uh, totally separately, you know, and apparently they intersected and just had a horrible collision. I mean, it was absolutely terrible, and of course this produced a out-and-out -out fight. I mean, it was almost like a theology class. Uh, not, not quite, not quite. Uh, almost like it. They were just going at it, very upset at one another you know, blaming each other for what had happened. And then finally, the snake piped up and he said, you know, actually I believe that this is more your fault, bunny rabbit, than it is mine. And the bunny rabbit said, well, why would that be? He said, well, because I was born blind. And so I never even saw you coming. And immediately the bunny rabbit said, you know, uh, that's amazing. I too was born blind. And all of a sudden they forget what the, it was that they were fighting about in the first place and they start talking about and having a conversation about what it was for them to grow up together blind, unable to see. And of course the snake says, you know, one of the really challenging things for me is, is that I have grown up from a very early age, of course, never really fully knowing my identity. 
And the rabbit said, you know, that's exactly how I feel too. And they decided they could help each other. So the snake decided to wrap and coil itself around the bunny rabbit. And he said, okay, here's what I got here, man. He said, uh, you've got some very soft, fluffy fur, you know, very long ears, very large back feet, and a cotton ball kind of tail. He said, you know what, friend, I believe you are a bunny rabbit. And he's like, this is fantastic. I'm a bunny rabbit. You know, this is good. And so the rabbit thought he was going to help the snake out, so he began to kind of, you know, check him out and stuff. He said, okay, here's what I got. He said, you are uh, slimy. Uh, you know, you uh, just kind of slither all around. You got beady little eyes and a fork-like tongue. He said, friend, I believe you are a lawyer. <laughs> well, that was a long time to get to that, wasn't it, friends? It was. Well, identity is a powerful issue in our culture. There is no doubt about that. In fact, identity is something that many of us try very hard to protect. Others try very hard to find their identity, but I too do my part to try to take care of myself, and I shred documents and that kind of thing, although I can't imagine why anybody would ever want to be me, that's for sure. No one's going to go and buy an RV, you know, because they use my identity, maybe a used VCR, but not an <laughs> RV, and that is for sure. And while we do do everything that we can to try to protect ourselves from would-be thieves, it seems like our culture is experiencing an identity crisis. And people, of course, go to great lengths to protect and produce identity. In this past year alone, there was over 10 million elective plastic surgeries and procedures right here in America. Because we are constantly trying to re-image ourselves. We are constantly trying to seek after this elusive perfection, to just get close as we possibly can to perfecting ourselves in whatever possible way uh, that we can. In fact, in pop culture, you might hear students these days say, hey, what's your anthem? You know, what is a song that best identifies or motivates you? Or perhaps it's a movie, or maybe it's a movie star or a sports star of some kind. And of course, this cycle just constantly goes around and around as people are trying to identify themselves with some form of fame or success or whatever it is that they might feel is desirable. And so it's no wonder that our culture truly has a crisis of identity these days, and we see it very clearly. And while we see this in pop culture, we also see this with adults. And many of us have heard about a midlife crisis that caused people to act very strangely, like this guy here in this cartoon. His boss says, I don't care how young it makes you feel. You work here, you can carry a briefcase, friend. And uh, then, of course, there was this man who, uh, who was having a midlife crisis, and this is what he wrote. He said, when I was married 25 years uh, ago, I looked at my wife one day and I said, you know, uh, honey, we've been married 25 years, and uh, back 25 years ago, of course, we lived in a very cheap apartment. We had a cheap car, slept on a sofa bed, and watched a 10-inch black-and-white television, but I got to sleep every night with a hot 25-year-old blonde. And uh, now, today, we have a nice car, a nice house, big bed, plasma screen television, but I'm sleeping with a 50-year-old woman. It seems to me that you're not holding up your side of things. Oh, boy. My wife is a, a very reasonable woman, he writes, and she told me to go out and find a hot 25-year-old blonde, and she would ensure that I would once again be living in a cheap apartment, driving a cheap car, <laughs> sleeping on a sofa bed, and watching a 10-inch black-and-white TV. And he comments from this in conclusion that, of course, older women are great because they really know how to solve a midlife crisis, right? 
Well, friends, issues of identity is no respecter of age. We will constantly be confronted uh, by who we are, whether we are a young person, a middle-aged person, or an older person. In fact, there's a senior citizen who just recently discovered that he had been adopted uh, when he was born. He, he didn't know. He was just adopted immediately after he was born. In fact, his parents went to the grave with this secret. And the reason that I know about this senior who just discovered that he had been adopted only recently is because that senior happens to be my father. And so he had just discovered that he had been adopted. It's like one day you can know exactly who it is you are, and the next day you're left wondering, who am I anyway? And for those of us who have answered the call of God in our lives, we can certainly identify with that. One day life is at some level normal, and all of a sudden God speaks into our lives and we find ourselves in a chapel service listening to yours truly. Well, friends, <laughs> who we believe ourselves to be truly does determine how we live our lives. And if we do not know who we are, then the way we live our lives is truly up for grabs. And so today, as we look at our life-shaping and potentially life-altering story from God's good word, the writer of Colossians tells us who it is that we really are by reminding us, us of who Jesus is. And I want for us to take a look together at Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie uh, to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Boy, talk about getting called out on the carpet here, friends. I mean, in this culture especially, we do try very hard to chase after this elusive perfection. And the truth of the matter is, is that perfection is very elusive. It is at best, oftentimes, a facade. Now, I know some very wonderful people, and I'm sure that you are too, but if we are expecting perfection from these people, as great as they may be, even if they are Dr. Gray's friends, uh, prepare yourself for some level of disappointment. If we are expecting perfection in others, we have to be ready to endure some form of disappointment. In fact, I had a pastor friend who, uh, in a former life, refereed professional wrestling, if you can imagine that. And he told me amazing stories about his time and life in, uh, in professional wrestling. And he said the guys were great. The wrestlers were amazing. They would hang out all the time, you know, in the hotels or whatever, and, and uh, just talk about stuff, you know. And he said that he had always looked up to the amazing Andre the Giant. And he always wanted the opportunity to get to know Andre the Giant. He said he finally had an opportunity. Andre walked in, he went and he introduced himself, and he said he was the most rude hateful person he had ever met. 
Now, it's very possible he just had an off day. I mean, we're all entitled to some of those days, aren't we, friends? Uh, but nonetheless, for this guy who had put this guy up on a pedestal, which put him up at about 25 feet tall, uh, but, you know, he lifted this guy to such a high level, he was incredibly disappointed. It forever changed his perception of the great wrestler, Andre the Giant. Because the reality is, friends, the closer that we get to somebody, the more that we get to know a person, the more real they become, much like the person that we all know best, ourselves. Friend, all of our personal pursuits of perfection are at best a facade, or as the writer of Colossians says, as a shadow. It is interesting that these early Christians are really dealing with this issue of identity, much like we find in our world today. But it's important for us to clearly see that this very descriptive message to the church is not at all a call on the carpet for bad behavior. It is not a judgmental, look in the mirror at all of your flaws. It is a message to simply look at Christ. Look at verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our lives are truly hidden with Christ in God. The only one who has ever truly lived a perfect life is Jesus himself. And his resurrection power takes that which is imperfect in our lives, and according to the colossal writer today, says that it covers us with his perfection so that when we look in the mirror, we can see the power of Christ made available to us. So in regards to perfection, this basically means we're off the hook, right? I mean, God's grace is sufficient for us, right? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. God's grace is sufficient for us, but friends, this is a grace that is not limited in this colossal power message that we have before us today. Take a look again at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, verse 2 says, on the things above, not on earthly things. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And in verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. Verse 8, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Friends, the colossal writer recognizes that none of this is possible in our own pursuits. It is not possible. It is only made possible through Christ alone through God's good grace and His perfection that He desires for us. But we must also acknowledge, as we see very clearly in this passage, that we are provided a grace to live in this grace of God. It is an amazing grace, friends. It calls us out of the life that we once lived and into His glorious, grace-filled life. Take a look at this grace-filled verse in verse 10 and look at how it's not just about hiding our sin, like we're somehow sweeping the dirt under the rug, but take a look at what it says. Having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The Imago Dei, friends. We are being transformed into the very image 
of the one who is holy, the one who is perfect, the one who desires to transform our lives in a way that we are incapable of, but only by the good grace of God to transform our lives. You see, friends, God is transforming us. God is renewing us in the very image of our Creator, the one who is perfect. And God provides the grace to put to death the old self and to put on this new, transformed, purified, sanctified self. Well, I want us just to take a moment and bring application. What does this look like today? And I've got to tell you, any time I am confronted by God's Word, uh, I look for how does this truly apply to my life. And for those of you that have had the great privilege of being in one of my classes, uh, <laughs> okay, so, so now I just discredited everything I've said before now, I know. Uh, but for those of you who have been in my class, you know that for me, theology must have hands and feet. It must have application in life. Or what good is it? It's just a great mental exercise that we endure, right? But friends, I was looking for how could it be that God would speak to us through His Word. And of course, friends, holiness is not as easy to explain as we might think it is. If it were, we wouldn't have so many classes on it, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I teach the class, right? Or at least I taught the class anyway. We'll see how it goes after today. Um, but here I am in deep contemplation, you know, really, with God's Word. And I'm thinking about, Lord, how is it that you would speak to us in this situation? Because this is a heavy thing. People really try their whole lives in pursuit of perfection, and most give up. Most realize it is elusive. It cannot happen. As, as hard as I might try, as good as I might try to be, I cannot achieve to this level of perfection, and many will just drop off the edges, right? Including good Christian folk. But I believe that God wants to speak into our lives and to show us how this can be lived out how we can receive the grace of God that we truly can be transformed. And so I'm praying about this, and I'm thinking. And you guys know how it is. You're college students, and you're just in one of those moments when you're really contemplating things, you know, and it's, it's kind of piecing together, and you're listening to the Holy Spirit, and it really becomes a means of grace for you, right? And you're in that moment. And, and this is the precise moment that my three-year-old Brecken, and you saw his picture earlier, he comes up and he says, Daddy, come play with me. And, uh, and the first thought is, you know, get away from a kid. A, you know, a, a genius is at work here, you know. And, uh, and of course, that's not what I said. But I'm thinking, you know, come on, I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to wrap my mind around this. I just need a few moments. Daddy, and of course, to my son, to a three-year-old, it looks like I'm doing absolutely nothing. You know, I'm just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, in my mind, you know, I'm, I'm just, it's going, it's going. And uh, so he's like, Daddy, come play with me. And so finally I said, okay, you know, because you've all been there, you get kind of a mental block and you just need to get away. You just got to put it aside for a moment, get some creative energy, you know, just set it aside and then come back to it later. So I decided I'm going to do that. So I go and I play with my son. And my son has a toy that I had never seen before, which means that Grandmom had been by earlier in the week. <laughs> and, uh, and he shows me this toy, and I brought it with me today. And it is a Dynaco Blue Lightning McQueen race car, friends. That's right. <laughs> yes, that's right. This is a big deal. And uh, so my son pulls this out, and I'm thinking, okay, so we're going to drive this thing around. But he runs to the freezer, and he opens it up, and he pulls out one of those little ice pack things. You've seen those things before, you know? I use them a lot for my stress and my back, right? Uh, but apparently they're also a toy now. Uh, so he pulls out one of these things, and, uh, and he sets it on top of this Dynaco Blue race car. 
and he wants daddy to count with him, you know, and I'm, okay, so I count with him, and uh, we get all the way up to 25, he's three years old, I'm thinking, man, maybe I should be asking him, you know, about, you know, this, this stumping question here, and uh, so we're counting, and, and, you know, and just kind of hanging out, and, and he removes it, and, and I've got to tell you, it's hard, of course, in the lighting and stuff here, but when he took it off, the Dynaco Blue Lightning McQueen race car is now a green race car. It looks kind of aqua, probably, from where you are. You're welcome to come play with it later. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, the reality is, friends, I uh, start to weep, you know. And um, the Lord just spoke to me. And he said, you know, we are who we are. We're a Dynaco Blue Lightning McQueen race car. It's what we are. It's what we'll always be. It's who God created us to be. We're uniquely made that way. We're a Dynaco Blue race car. But friends, when the Holy Spirit of God covers us with His grace, with His holiness, with His perfection, when He covers our imperfection, friends, we can't help but be transformed. It may be broke, but we, we can't help but be transformed by that very grace of God. When we are with the presence of a holy God, He changes us. He gives us a reason for life. He helps us to see things in ways that we could never possibly see on our own, despite our very best attempts at doing it. It's by God's good grace alone. Think of Moses up on that holy hill, hanging out with the Lord. He comes back down and people say, cover your face, man. Something's different about you. The countenance of God is upon you. And friends, when the Holy Spirit of God covers our lives, we cannot help but be transformed. We're still the same race car, make no mistake. We're still Ronnie Wilson. God has only got so much to work with here, friends, let me tell you. And that's just the way it is. But by God's good grace, as He covers our lives, as He surrounds us, we find ourselves being transformed, being purified, being sanctified holy for His good purpose in our lives. What we come to recognize, friends, is that the God, that God graciously covers and hides our imperfections by God's good grace, but we also recognize this resurrection power at work within us. We are being transformed into the image of our Creator. Grace to live in this glorious, transforming grace. So, what is God's word for us today? Put to death that which produces death. Put it to death. All of our pursuits, all that we try to do, friends, it's nothing more than legalistic uh, opportunity. That's all it is. It's just a helpless pursuit of trying to achieve that which we are incapable of achieving without the grace of God. So put it to death, not in our own capacity, but by being hidden and renewed so that our identity is found in Christ alone. Amen. Put on the new self. I want to uh, offer a prayer, and then I know the, the worship team is going to come. But could it be today that we need the Holy Spirit of God to cover us afresh and new? That we might have a new outlook on ministry, on school, on life? Lord, could you cover me in such a way that I can see your transforming work of grace in my life in a way that I am incapable of producing in and of myself? I think it would be good for us today to take a moment and maybe around these altars, maybe right where you are, and maybe even kneeling right where you are, and just say, Lord, I need you to hide me right now.
Because all of these things that sometimes I feel like is just a laundry list of all the ugly stuff in my life, when I feel like I'm getting called out on the carpet, friends, God reveals these things to us so that we know that we're not God and He is. <laughs> and He is the one who is capable of covering us. A multitude of sin, friends. A multitude of things that is just ugly about us that we want to set aside, that we don't want anyone else to see. But when we look in the mirror, we know who we are. We're that Lightning McQueen, Dynaco Blue race car. Friends, today could be the day that God transforms us afresh and anew. May it be so. Lord, we thank you today for your good grace. We thank you for these words, Lord, that remind this early church that's dealing with identity issues that, Lord, they do not have to live in a way that produces death. But, Lord, all of these pursuits that really get us nowhere in life can truly, utterly be transformed by the grace of a holy God. And so, Lord, would you put your stamp on us. Lord, when others see us, when we come off of this holy hill right now at NBC, would they see that in our countenance that something has been transformed? Would they see a sanctified life set apart for God? Not because of who we endeavor to be, not because we are Bible college students, not because we are professors and staff persons here, Lord, but simply because we have allowed your grace to cover us, to fully cover us and surround us, Lord. So, Father, take that which is ugly about us. Take those things that we see so very clearly in the mirror. Take those things, Lord, that the people that are closest to us see so clearly. And, Lord, would you begin to redeem that? Would you begin to transform it? And, Father, would we truly put on the new self right here in this moment tonight? Lord, would the old self be set aside? Would it die out? Lord, that is where these pursuits lead anyway, to death. And, Father, would you help us to set it aside that we might discover the fullness and newness of life in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to come if you would like an opportunity just to ask a holy God to surround us, to cover us, and to create something new in our hearts and lives this evening. A different song. Jesus, your word says it can be so. Yes. We take you at your word. Amen. Go in his peace.